0: I said, you could put me in front of a wall and say talk for 30 minutes and not give me a topic, and I could do it. I can can go down a rabbit trail, and I can be gone for days.
1: Welcome to Episode 5 of the Plastic Posse Podcast, sponsored by Goodman Models. Speaking of Goodman Models, head on over to www.goodmanmodels.com and check out Anthony's line of super sanding blocks. These blocks are available in several different grits, they can be used wet or dry, and they'd be a great addition to your workbench. Again, www.goodmanmodels.com And tell him the Plastic Posse sent you. Before we get started, a little bit of business. I wanted to remind our listeners to tune in and listen to our sister scale modeling podcasts. We have On the Bench, Plastic Model Mojo, and Scale Model Podcasts. These are great podcasts. We're big fans of theirs, and we want to do everything we can to support them. They've been great with us. Also, we would really appreciate it if you're enjoying our podcast, if you'd take a few minutes and leave our podcast a review. And especially if you can give us a five-star rating, that really helps us to get the Plastic Posse out to more listeners. Also, it's time to support the Golden Sprue Awards, this time by voting. Head on over to the website over at www.goldensprueawards.com and make your voice heard. Voting is open during the entire month of October, so go vote, and let's see who the big winners end up being. I know I've already cast my ballots. All right, now that I've got that business out of the way, let's get going on Episode 5. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Doug Smith
2: and TJ Holler. How you doing, guys? So good. Never, ever been better. You got your cat on your lap, TJ? No, actually I don't. He ran off like a little turd. I don't know where he went. He must be mad at me. That's bad juju. We got to to keep the tradition going. Uh, He's probably went to go get something to eat. He'll be back. (laughs) As always,
1: we've got a great episode planned for you, our listeners, and we also have a fantastic guest as well. We're joined by YouTuber and science fiction modeler, John
2: Bias. I just want to add that right after I said that, he walked over to me, and now he's in my lap. Oh, all is well. Good job, Kylo. (laughs) This episode is going to be a little different than uh, some of our previous ones we're still gonna have fun uh, but we also want to make sure that in 2020 we're doing our part in the modeling community to give back as well first of all we want to make sure we are sending some love to the local hobby store owners in communities all over the world Doug. I'm pretty sure we have a large amount of hobby
3: shop shout outs this
2: episode, don't we?
3: As Scott put it so eloquently earlier, it's a metric crap ton. <laughs> we had a lot of hobby shop, hobby shop shout outs, and I'm going to go through these as fast as I can because there are a lot. Lightning round. Yeah, we love this. This is so great. Let's see. Okay, we've got Michael Libero, uh, Branford Hobbies in Branford, Connecticut, the owner of Ma- Mark Castiglione. Cool. Neil Gilborn. He tried this once before and we missed him. Sorry, Neil. Any chance you would give a shout out to Access Models in New York upon Trent, UK? It's an excellent shop that's been there for years. Always nice and the owner is tea like Arkwright. I don't even know what that means. And his till opens and closes just as fast. Oh, his till. Okay. Then we got Ryan Stogner. Well, I don't live in California anymore, but my go-to was Brookhurst Hobby Shop in Garden Grove, California. They have everything, including the kitchen sink. I'm 44, and my grandfather used to take me there before I could see up over the counter. Great store and great memories. I'd like to add that when I was growing up in the in the 70s and 80s, I shopped there too. That's a great shop. Sean Vale Roads, Denby Hobby Center in Newport News, Virginia. Great service in an old school hobby store. Jesse Tonke, Cool Trains in Lansville, Pennsylvania. The owner is awesome, and there's always cool stuff. Unfortunately, okay, the store burned down last winter. Oh, that sucks. Uh, but they're in the process of rebuilding now. Well, I we, we wish them the best of luck. That would be great. And anybody, once they're open, can give them any support. Let's let's try to support them in any way we can. Mike McElheny, Hobby Express in Cranberry, Pennsylvania, just north of, north of the Berg, Robert Lara actually shouting out Hobbytown. It's the only game in town, apparently, in Fresno, California. You know, we take what we can get, and we're grateful for what we have. Joe Yellow made a bit of a funny. William Robert Chapel in Ottawa is the bomb for us Northerners. And he said, it's, it's actually Bill's Ho- Hobby Center, but stupid Facebook didn't change the name. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Joe. True Savage, Viking Hobby and RC Hobbies in Sacramento. Anthony Goodman, Neo Tokyo in London, Ontario, has all the Gundam Star Wars Mr. Color goodness. Alan Morell, shout out to Carefree Hobbies in Oakville. They are an awesome local store and will go out of their way to help. Ian McCauley, hi fellows enjoying the new podcast. My shout out is to my LHS in, it's the Hobbies Center in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. In business for almost 35 years, it's a large full service shop that has a large eBay presence. So I guess we can shop for them from the comforts of home. All right. And <laughs> uh, we have a little NHL shout out coming from from Ian as well. His favorite team is any team that beats the, the Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be the Toronto Maple Leafs. So go Hawks, right? Anyway, that that is it. That is a big list. And I'm sure I stumbled through most of them and uh, butchered most of your names. But thank you so much. We appreciate it. Please keeping those shout outs coming. We love it. This is a lot of fun to hear, but people are doing in other areas. Anyway, back to you guys.
2: Um, I just also, Jesse is a buddy of mine. So thanks, Jesse, for uh, reaching out and contributing to the Hobby Shop shout out. And uh, I'm sorry you're an Eagles fan because they suck, man. I am mean, it's just the way it is. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. And uh, I just wanted to add we
1: got some feedback from Anthony Goodman, uh, who was, Awesome. in episode four, hopefully you guys all agree. We had a lot of fun putting that together. Thanks for that, Anthony. Appreciate it. Hey,
3: Anthony, I'd like to talk to you sometime. Sorry. <laughs> I, I was kind of a wall for that interview. So sorry.
1: Doug was the victim of a drive by tooth surgery that week. So uh, we'll, we'll give him, it, we'll it give wasn't him a the pack.
3: tooth. It was the meds, but yeah, I'm back. I'm full strength now. Woohoo! But well, that was the wussiest woohoo ever. I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: When we started to put this episode together, we wanted to address the modeling community during this crazy pandemic year. Modeling tends to be a solitary hobby anyways, and what little camaraderie there is in the hobby has been severely impacted or even eliminated due to social distancing. I know me personally, I haven't been able to go to my local IPMS show where I've made a couple of good friends and it's been disappointing. Uh, We wanted to make sure all of our listeners know that we care about each and every one of you. And we legitimately do. We do this for you guys, really. It's not for us. Cause as, as we've all, as three of us have uh, discussed, none of us like to hear ourselves talk. So that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. This really is for everyone else. And we hope you will take some time over the next week or two uh, to call your modeling modeling friends or just your friends in general and see if they're okay. If we all check in with each other, we can help make sure everybody's okay. We also want to make sure that while we are all modeling, that we enjoy our hobby, and we're going to have a great discussion about that later in the episode with our special guest, John Bias. The three of us saw a really great video this week posted by figure painter Keith Elridge that also speaks to this issue. The video is entitled, We Need to Talk About Mental Health. And we're gonna post a link to that in the show notes, and probably on the Facebook page, along with uh, several links to other organizations where people can call or help if they need it. This is a tough issue; no one really likes to talk about it, but sometimes you need to, and we need to be here for each other. And if anyone out there needs to talk, you know, shoot us an email or message us on Facebook. I know, speaking for me personally, I know some people that you know had a hard time, especially during the COVID shut down more or less, um, you know, that weren't going to work anymore and weren't really getting out. And, you know, that that's a lot harder on people. I, I was fortunate that I still had to get up and go to work every day, even though I was bemoaning everyone getting to stay home. But um, yeah, it, you know, it, and reaching out to people is, is really difficult. And, you know, a lot of people do it, don't want to do it because they think it makes them feel weak, but it's not. It's actually a sign of of extreme strength to be able to tell someone, "Hey, you know, can can we just talk? You know, I got some issues I want to talk through." So, TJ,
1: I really really appreciate uh you bringing this up. Um you've kind of been the one on our crew to lead on this, but it's such an important issue. I want to echo your call for our listeners to go check out that video on YouTube by Heath Aldridge. Um check it out. It'll we'll have the link in the show notes and on our Facebook pages you mentioned, but it's an important video. It took a lot of courage to make it. It is a difficult thing to talk about. You know, most of us are men and we're big, tough guys, but we do need to talk about it. It's okay if uh, if you're feeling down. Everybody out there has a system of support. We're all here to talk to each other, and TJ's um, offer to shoot us an email or a message, that's legitimate. If you guys need to talk, we're here for you. The main thing is we just need to all have each other's backs and get through this awful 2020 uh, together and uh, move on to bigger and better things.
3: Um, I don't, I don't know how to follow that up. Um, I, I know we can say uh, we understand, and I think we've all been through some some tough times throughout our lives. Some of us have had it better than others, but I don't think there's anybody that's ever ever not struggled mentally. So, so we have a basis to to work from, and I would I would like to think that we we can be a support. Every one of us, every one of us on this show, every one of our listeners, we can support each other. I mean, it doesn't take much to be nice, and and to just just give uh, positive support to people, and that's what that's what people really need. So again, you know, feel
2: free to reach out to us, even if you know you don't know us personally. That's okay. Please reach out to anyone that you know in your life that might be having a hard time. Or if you're having a hard time yourself, you know, take the time, reach out to someone. And someone will be there for you. And so with that said, we're going to move on to the rest of our show. All right. So coming up, we have our fantastic interview with John Bias. So I hope everyone enjoys it. It was a good time. We had fun with John. And if you've ever seen his videos, you know what? He's just like that in real life, too. So please enjoy.
1: We have another exciting guest interview for you today. He has his own YouTube channel, John Bias. Uh, John, welcome to the Plastic
0: Posse podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me on here. I appreciate it.
1: Well, John, tell us a little bit about yourself for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, uh, what you love to model and kind of how you came to be where you're at right now.
0: I had gotten out of the hobby when I was a teenager back in the 80s. I had gotten... uh, car and a girlfriend models weren't really important to me anymore years went by got married had kids my family and i used to go up to a local coffee shop on friday nights drink coffee and eat cookies and stuff and i started reading model magazines and my wife said this was back in 2000 late 2005 my wife said why don't you build one of these models and i'm like "Ah, that's for kids she finally for my birthday in 2006 got me a model and i built it and i liked it and i started building i started building and i've been building them ever since I started with aircraft because that's what I'd loved as a kid. And I built those for 11 years. I built around 275 aircraft oh, wow. in that oh, time. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> I, I constantly model, but I got a little burned out on aircraft and I was, I was actually contemplating dropping out of the hobby. I saw some things on YouTube about these things called Gundam. I started checking those out. And so in 2017, I made, I guess you'd say, a hard pivot to sci-fi. So since then, I've gotten into Gundam. I've gotten into Star Wars, Warhammer, Machine and Krieger, other sci-fi franchises, and I've just really, really loved it. And I've been publishing. I actually started publishing a blog back in 2006. It was a a faith-based modeling blog called agapemodels.com. And I did that for quite a while. And then I started blogging on my own johnbias.com site. And then I decided to jump into the YouTube thing. So I've been doing that for the last couple of years, and that's where I am.
1: <laughs> that YouTube channel, what's that called?
0: That is YouTube.com slash John Bias. It's just my name, J-O-N-B-I-U-S. You can get to it, John Bias Scale Models.
1: I like how you've got multiple formats and multiple different videos. You have a multi-part build series where you take a certain subject and you put those together. And you do a, a really great job. The production on your videos is is really, really good. But then you've also got videos where you discuss, you know, the hobby more from kind of a, I don't want to say a philosophical point of view, but maybe a more personal point of view. And then you have a new segment you've introduced as well. Why don't you talk about those for a bit?
0: What I had started doing was the typical talking hands videos where the camera's pointing down at your workbench and I, I work and talk. I always like to talk about, I guess you'd say the culture of scale modeling. That's, that's always fascinated me. What drives people to do that? What motivates people? What motivates me? What bothers me? What, what do I have in common with others? And so I started doing some segments that I I kind of tongue-in-cheek labeled deep thoughts. Because if you really know me, you know I don't actually have a deep thought in my head ever. (laughs) I I called them deep thoughts. The first time I did it, I thought, okay, I don't know if I've ever said this on any kind of thing like this. The actual reason I did a deep thoughts the very first time was because I couldn't get the video finished for that week that I needed to. And I said, I got to put something up there. So I stood the camera up in front of me and I just talked about something for, you know, half an hour. And people liked it and I was, who would have guessed that? As I, I, at the time I was doing two videos a week and I also work full time. It was really just wearing down on me. So I've cut back to doing one video a week, which meant that I needed to focus more on the modeling side of it. But I hated leaving behind those deep thoughts kind of things and and stuff like that. So I came up with this idea for what I'm calling the Last Tuesday Show. And it, literally, the reason I call it the Last Tuesday Show is I couldn't think of a better name by the time I needed to publish it. And it comes out the last Tuesday of each month. And so what I try and do in there is I try and incorporate some of those deep thoughts things or shop talk is another segment I like doing. Or just it's, it's really just a way of that I can examine the culture of scale modeling because. I find modelers as fascinating as I find models, actually. You know, if you've not been to my channel, that's what you'll find. You'll find a lot of videos of me building models, but there's also some stuff of me just talking about models and different aspects of
1: it. uh Let me ask you this question. When you consume uh, YouTube videos or podcasts, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, um, <laughs> what what kind of content are you looking for?
0: I look for two different kinds of things generally. I look for things that go into techniques. I I, I like watching applications of products, different techniques, different demonstrations. Even if it's something I know how to do, I like to see that, to see if there's variations that I can do, if there's twists on a theme that I can do. So I spend a lot of time watching ones like that. And then there's times when I've finished up my modeling for the day and I go over here and I sit in my recliner. And I cast YouTube up to my TV screen. For those, I want to be entertained. I like a lot of these content creators that do as much to kind of entertain and make you chuckle and make it, you know, I mean, they're still painting and they're still building and they're still doing things like that, but it's a much more lighthearted approach, I guess you'd say. I really like those too because. They just, again, they give me something to think about. They they give me, they really let you see the person and who they are behind the, the microphone, I guess you'd say.
1: One thing I really like about your videos is you always end each video on a really positive note. You know, you remind your viewers that if they're not, if you're not having fun doing this, then you're doing it wrong.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to learn. But if I just sat there or any creator, if you just sit there and you say, okay. I apply this, this dot of oil here, and then I take a brush and then I streak it down until it blends in. And then I do another dot of oil, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to want to listen to that. So I, I think there's a way that you can be instructive, educational, entertaining. It's one of those things that we, we want to feel like, I think, I think what people want is they want to feel like they're having a conversation I don't want to feel like that this person there at the other end of the YouTube is just, just a voice out there in space. When I was a kid and so much of what I do goes back to when I modeled as a kid. But when I, when I was growing up, one of the houses we lived in had a carport. It was, it was open on, it was closed on three sides, open on the other, but it didn't have a garage door. Me and my friends would sit out in the carport So it could be done on a rainy day or whatever. And we would get these, you know, these 50 cent, 99 cent monogram model kits and get our horrid orange tube glue and three or four bottles of tester's paint. And we would sit out there and we would slap these things together and put some paint on them before the paint was ever dry. We'd be flying around. And and I think ultimately that's the kind of feeling, at least that's the kind of feeling I want to try and get across is, hey, we're just sitting around and I'm just showing you what I'm doing. But I I try to make it like we're just sitting here building a model together, you know, because I think that's I think that's a lot of fun.
3: Absolutely. John, what is what inspires you when you build? I mean, is there something in your life that that just keeps you going that that you like to build towards or build for?
0: Part of it, and this is going to sound really nebulous and maybe a bit weird, it's a never ending pursuit of trying to find something that makes 10 year old John go, Hey, that's cool. I, I really do put a lot of stock into what would my 10 year old self have said about what I'm doing a lot of times, because I'm very in touch with my inner child. In fact, my inner child rules the place Right. Uh, as, as my wife reminds me uh, now and again, when I first see a kit, If my first reaction is, "Oh, that is totally cool," then that inspiration is quite often what will drive me to get that and start doing something with it. Now, once I get it in my hands, you know whether it's okay. I'm going to do this uh, as a Warhammer. It's a Warhammer thing, and I'm going to do a cannon, or it's gunplay, and I'm going to do it totally made up. That type of inspiration comes from a lot of places one of my favorite places to look is to simply look at pictures of nature. Like if if you want to come up with some cool camouflage schemes, just Google colorful frogs or colorful toads or whatever, and start looking at the the pictures of frogs and the colors or colors on fish or stuff like that. Right. Those inspire me, of course. And then, of course, looking at very social media things and you you see some of these builders put something out there and they come up with a color scheme and you look at that and and i I look at that and i just go oh man that that makes me want to do something orange or something green or something blue i'm kind of wide open on inspiration i've worked on kits that the inspiration was Uh, something that happened back when I was in the army in a combat situation in a particular slice of time that I wanted to try and capture in a build all the way through just finding like I said finding a picture of a frog and here's here's a couple of colors on it and I'm like okay how do I incorporate this bluish color this greenish color and orange onto something let that inspire me so I, I look for inspiration all around me whether it's people circumstances pictures nature whatever
3: did i answer the question yeah i think so and i don't remember what the question is now i, <laughs> I went down the <laughs> you mentioned frogs and and while you're talking i'm in my mind picturing the poison dart frogs and how yeah, could you yeah. incorporate those bright vivid blues or oranges or reds or yellows into like a mecca or something could be really cool
0: yeah and see that's that's the fun of it because when I see those colors, then I start thinking, OK, do I want to do the full on saturation of that or do I want to do a desaturated look? Do I want to do I want to sneak it in so that people look at it and go, well, wow, that's a really cool camouflage scheme. And then you go, you know, it's actually just a frog. <laughs> so I, I, I like to do things like that to look at it and go, would this look good full on? Would this look good desaturated? Would this look good if I if I shifted a few colors here, if I just really you know made it very subtle? And just, just the fun of thinking about it. I remember when I used to, I was, I was the kid that when they would give us things to color in school, I would get the whole box of 64 crayons, you know, and I would lay them out and I would start coloring things this way and that way. And my mom was an art teacher uh, for a while uh, before I was born. And she had early on taught me a very basic color theory. And so I tried to, I tried to play around with that a little you know, looking at a frog and looking at those colors and it's kind of a challenge. Okay. How can I get this onto a model, still make it look
3: cool. When you talk about the models that, that you see and you think about it as a 10 year old, I do that all the time. I actually, yeah. there are times when I look at the, especially Bandai, Star Wars was my life for about seven yes. years from the time I was seven and the first movie came out until girls happened. Yeah. yeah. And Same everything here. was Star Wars. Everything I did I compared to Star Wars, even when a movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, it still was, it was awesome when we talked about it, but it always went back to Star Wars. And I, as a little boy, if I could have had one of those Bandai X-Wings, it would have melted my brain because I remember yeah. building those things that just weren't good kits. They were awful. You remember
0: the, big, the great big old MPC? I think it was MPC. Mm-hmm. Made the the Darth Vader TIE Fighter. Yeah, I could
3: never keep the solar panels on. They'd never stay put yeah. <laughs> they're too heavy.
0: I actually got that. That was back, and a, and a lot of people are going to go, what the heck are those? That was back when they had S&H green stamps. And I actually got the Darth Vader TIE Fighter and the the big 12-inch Darth Vader with the glowing lightsaber. I got those with green stamps.
3: Wow, that's <laughs> awesome.
0: I sat around for hours and licked those sheets and put them in the book and took them up to the store and got those kids. <laughs> if my 10-year-old self could see some of these kits now, it would just completely blow his 10-year-old mind because there are things happening that I always thought, like I remember as a kid thinking, I mean, I like painting models, but I used to think, why can't the models come already colored? Yeah. So that I can snap it together and go play with it. I don't want to spend time painting it. I mean, I liked painting stuff, but sometimes you just wanted to your friend had brought over some firecrackers and you just want to get the model together and blow the thing up, yep. you know?
3: <laughs> Actually, we had a, my neighbor who taught me models. He was a retired gentleman across the street from me. He would give us models. He would give us sometimes even completed kits. And he stopped doing it when he kept watching us go out in the street and blow his models up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, do you blame him, Derek?
3: No, not one bit.
2: You, you know, as a as a sidebar to thinking about now, like seeing a Bond I can't and be like, man, if I could give my 10-year-old self this, they'd be blown away. And as like as an aside to that, that's one of the best things about living in the future that we all, you know, because we all do. This is very much the future. I, you know, as a comic book fan, and this is like in a similar vein, I remember reading comic books as a kid. and I'm younger than you guys, so this is like early nineties, and thinking, man that'd be awesome if they could make a movie out of this, but there's no way they could do it and make it look yeah. like what I'm reading. And then you cut yeah. to 2019 and you go see the last Avengers movie and you're like, holy crap, they did it. They actually did it, man. If I could go back in time and give this to myself in 1992 while I'm reading an Avengers comic book, I'd be blown away. I wouldn't even know how to like
0: act. Cause I saw, I was 10 years old when star Wars came out. While, while there had been movies with fairly good special effects and there had been some TV shows, nothing had come close to Star Wars. I remember coming out of the movie as a kid, and I was just so totally blown away and so totally excited about it. But I remember coming out, and I was, almost, I, I was having to fight back tears because it was so cool. I thought, I can't believe how cool this is. And then when I found out, oh, when I found out that, they did all those cool things because guys were building models and they were paid to do it. (laughs) It was, it was like, you know, somebody told me, they said, they said, you know, yeah, they get paid, you know, 500, they get paid $500 a week. You want to try it? And I'm like, yeah, let me come up with $500. (laughs) I'm thinking I got to pay them. I mean, (laughs) how cool is that? So yeah, that, that excitement of seeing these things happen and I'm loving to, to go off on the star Wars trail, I'm loving watching how they're putting the Mandalorian together and how they're going back to practical modeling in so many ways. And I love seeing that. I mean, I just, I'm glad that there's still a place for that.
1: Absolutely. It's almost like in cinema, I'm a big fan of Westerns and John Ford made these huge towering Westerns and shot him in monument Valley. And that blew all these people away, including Akira Kurosawa in Japan. And so he started making all these samurai films inspired by, you know, these original westerns. And then the Italians started, uh, Sergio Leone saw those Kurosawa films and they started making westerns and kind of brought it around mm-hmm. back, to, back to John Ford. And it's almost, yeah. it's almost the same way.
0: I had trouble sitting and watching the whole thing because it made me want to just clear everything off the bench and go get a Bandai Star Wars kit and just start building <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, yeah. It's just, it was so cool to watch how they did that.
3: Cool. Speaking of Bandai Star Wars or any kit in that for that matter, is there are there kits that stand out to you as like your favorite you've ever built? Like the one that, that I would build a million of these. From an
0: airplane standpoint, my favorite is still to me is old tool spitfire mark one I. I built their new tool and i loved it except that it had photo etch that you had to use and one of the things that i loved about the old one is i could give that to a 10 year old kid say here build this and they could do it so that's one that from a traditional kit standpoint that i love from the stuff i'm building now i i just recently finished a series on youtube on bandai snow speeder that is is one of the best kits I've ever built all around in the entire time I've been, been building models. The engineering on it is superb. The fit is amazing. The detail is amazing. The subject, I mean, you talk about making Empire Strikes Back would have been 13-year-old John. But if I could have had that kit back then, I would have... I am I used to collect glass bottles and turn those in and get rebates and would go buy model kits from Woolworths. If, if I could have done that, I would have built snowspeeder after snowspeeder after snowspeeder. Another one, I'm really enjoying Warhammer. I just finished it up. This thing called an Archaeopter. It looks kind of like an old Soviet attack helicopter mated with a mechanical bat. It's got these just crazy bat wings on it and this big greenhouse canopy and guns hanging on it that was another one of those builds that i just did not want to end because it was so fun there were so many little details to whether there are times when i'm building a model that i regret that i'm having to document it because part of me would just like to just push the camera away and just go okay i'm going to sit here and i'm not going to think of anything or anybody else i'm just going to build this that would have been one of them.
3: Yeah, I've actually, I know you've got uh, YouTube videos up on that and I haven't watched them yet, but I am definitely interested in that one. Yeah, it's one, it's just
0: crazy looking. It's like, I've never seen anything like it. All of the detail and the nice fit, just all of the little places that you can weather, anything Warhammer's just loaded with opportunities for weathering. So yeah, it's it's a great kit. In terms of building Gunpla, Bandai came out with a kit it's uh, it it maybe four or five years ago called a it's a master grade sniper two if you're familiar with that type of kit it's basically a, a gm kit that's a sniper variant and the engineering on that and the detailing on that and just the way the whole kit goes together is just so absolutely totally amazing it was my first master grade kit that i built and i remember one evening putting the shoulder together. I'm moving it around and there's little pistons in there moving and little things working. And I I took the part out to my wife and I'm like, look at this, look at this, look at how this works, you know? And she's just laughing because I was just so totally in that 10-year-old zone. The beautiful thing about these kits is I want to find kits that don't present a lot of roadblocks to the build. Yeah. There was a period back when I was building aircraft that I went on this kick of going and finding all the old kits that I built as a kid. And I went on this nostalgia trip, but after about the fifth or sixth kit, I got so tired of filling seams, flash and all of this stuff. And I'm like, you know, this, this is great for nostalgia, but these really aren't that great of a kit to build, you know,
1: <laughs> the dirty side of nostalgia.
3: Those kits yeah. really <laughs>
0: sucked. Yeah. I've taken on challenging kits. I mean, I've built some resin, especially aircraft kits. i built some resin aircraft kits. That, you know, I tell people, oh, I built this one or that one. And they were like, oh my gosh, you built that one? I'm so sorry. I built tough kits. But when I made the shift over to sci-fi, I had gotten so burned out on trying to do the photo etch thing and making it look perfect and those kind of things. I said, you know what? I'm going to build fun stuff. It's not that I'm going to shy away from if if I see something and it's going to be challenging. It's not that I'm going to shy away from it. But if I can take something, say, from Bandai or from games workshop and I can put it together and it just goes together fine. And I can get to the fun part, which is the painting and the weathering. Why wouldn't I do that? I'll tell people, Hey, if they say I want to get into Gundam, I'm like, look, buy anything from Bandai within the last five years. If you think it looks cool, buy it, build it, paint it, enjoy it.
3: TJ, you had some things you wanted to ask
2: him, right? So, I mean, not even really so much ask, but I, you made a video in June of this year, and it was called uh, Avoiding the Blues and Recapturing the Fun. Mm-hmm. I would just like to say that I appreciate that video a lot because Thank you. you touched on something that, that a lot of people don't like to talk about. And, and I, I just really appreciate that because I know I went through a, a time last year when I realized I I started probably nine kits, eight eight or nine kits and finished none of them. And I couldn't figure out why come to find out it was stuff outside of the hobby affecting my hobby Mm -hmm. you know once I figured that out we moved into this year and of course this year has kind of sucked for a lot of other reasons but I've been extremely productive this year and then I watched your video and I was like wow that's pretty awesome that this is a similar thing and you know not a lot of people talk about that uh what what made you want to make that that video
0: like I said Part of what drives me, what fascinates me is scale modeling culture. A lot of times the inspiration, and and I I, I will be deliberately vague about the inspiration for that particular video, but I'll be specific enough for these. But I saw somebody say something. They were having a discussion with some people on social media, and somebody was going through a really difficult time in their modeling. It wasn't a a venue that I felt I didn't know the person. It wasn't appropriate for me to just kind of write this whole long letter to say, hey, here's here's some thoughts I have. That video is actually I I expanded on it, but it's it's essentially a response to one person. And I don't know if they ever saw it, because like I said, it's not somebody that I know I've seen them on socials. But it was it was that was kinda of the motivation. And then of course, once you start doing something like that, you expound on it and expand on it. It really bugged me a few years ago. I was really involved in our local IPMS club and contests and things like that. And when I first got involved in that I was really enthusiastic about it. And I had different positions in the local club here. I was president for a while and helped lead up several contests. But I started seeing people that seemed to be miserable in the hobby. I mean, I literally remember a grown man standing outside of the venue one time after it was over crying because he didn't get best in show.
1: Oh, wow. I mean,
0: and, and he was really distraught about it. And he was tying his personal well-being to that. It's a lot of what I said there are, are things that I tend to remind myself a lot about so that I don't get caught in that trap it's it's easy to forget why we're doing this you know my channel is growing the numbers aren't big but I have to be careful not to sit there on a Friday when I launch a video and hit refresh every five minutes to see the traffic the thing I I, I try to remember is there's a there's a fine line there because certainly you want to watch what other people do for inspiration for learning for improvement for growth all of that is important but when you when you start tying that to your self-worth, if I can't do this well, then I'm just, I'm, not only am I, you know, not a am not a good modeler, but I'm a bad person or, or whatever. You know, if we come to those conclusions, it can be very difficult for us as I see people and I still see it every single day. Uh, one of the catchphrases I used to see all the time when I was involved in IPMS stuff is I'd hear somebody you'd say, hey, how's that? Such and so, how's that F4 Phantom going? And they go, Oh, well, it's pretty good, but it's not contest worthy. And I started to understand what that meant was I thought I was doing a good job and something didn't meet my expectations. So I'm going to call it not contest worthy because that was my entire focus. And, and that's why I am at the end of every broadcast, I, I say, If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. And I mean that because, and it's not. Every build, there's going to be something that's not fun. You know, it's like if if you're driving to Disney World, okay, you might get a flat tire or you might get a cold cheeseburger from McDonald's on the way down there, but the net gain when the sausage comes out is going to be fun. And that's the way it is with modeling. I see so many people miserable in the hobby. I think that's why there's so much collecting being done in many cases and not building because, people are have set up such expectations for themselves that they just lose sight of the fact that hey why don't you just glue some plastic together put some paint on it do the best you can but just be happy with the result be happy with spending the time doing something enjoyable and i think i think that's lost in so many ways nowadays
2: i i would definitely agree i've i've personally because i also build warhammer stuff mhm I also but I, I I know you I think you've mentioned in your videos you do not play the game which no. I've been collecting Warhammer stuff for a very long time well relative to my time in the hobby which isn't that long probably about eight years I only recently just really started playing like within the last year or so that's been helping me instead of worrying about getting every single thing perfect on one single Space Marine out of 40 it's like, you know what? I finished 10 of them. That's awesome. Now, when I go play a game at my friend's house, I have a painted model to look at instead of a piece of yeah. gray plastic, you know? And that's... Yeah. that that's I'm finding more enjoyment than just finishing something instead of dwelling on it forever. And like Scott said, I'm also my own worst enemy and Scott, your own hardest critic and worst enemy half the time too. But... And Scott can attest to that. I am extremely hard on myself with everything. Man, you're tough. (laughs) I am. I I can't help it. And I try really hard not to be, um, but sometimes it's just too hard.
0: That's something I've had to fight. For about nine years, I was in the Army, and I was in an airborne unit here. We live outside of Fort Bragg, and I've been in an airborne unit in Fort Bragg. And, of course, the pursuit there is excellence be fast, be strong, be smart, be quick, you know, be good with your equipment. And when I got out of the Army, I I brought that with me. And so at first I brought that to modeling. But one of the things I saw real quick was it's perfection just isn't possible. And as I've met more and more people that are well-known, very accomplished modelers, one of the things I always ask them is, you know, who inspires you? Who do you look up to? And there's always somebody that they can mention. And they will say, you know, man, if I could just do this like that guy, I, I guess somewhere there is the guy, you know, <laughs> that, that everybody will aspire to. And you get to that person and say, who do you aspire to? And they go, pretty much myself. <laughs> 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 and, and I guess if you know if we could ever reach that level, I've always said if I ever built a perfect model, the model that I sit back and look at and go, there's nothing I can improve on that, I need to quit and so one of the things that that I do to help myself, and this is why I finish a lot of models, is I saw so many people that would be trying to finish models and they would keep trying and they would keep doing this one model and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, and, doing it and, doing it. and I've gotten to where I just go. Okay, I messed that up. Oh, I, I missed that. I'm just going to keep driving on, and I'll get it better on the next one. And I think it has helped to give myself permission to fail. Once you start modeling publicly, you have to try and balance that out because, you know, nobody wants to see a, a long string of failures. But you know, to step back and, and go, yeah, okay, so I I didn't get the paint there perfect, or I didn't get the weathering right there perfect. And I think that also hinders people. I can't remember, and it may have been in that Kicking the Blues video. I, I'm I'm thankful you remember the title because I've already forgotten it. There's, there's a cycle that happens that the more you finish models, the more experienced you get. And the more experienced you get, the more confidence you have, the more confidence you have, the more fun you have, and the more fun you have, the more models you build. So many people will sit and they will go, I, I know guys, I talk to them all the time. They'll go, well, I'm just... I'm just not getting this. I'm it's just not looking right. It's just not looking right. I need to just I need to just give up and I'm like, "No, no. Push through it." If what in your head is 100% and you only reach 70%, accept the 70%, finish it up, and then get another model and start it and hit 80% on that thing, and then 90%, and eventually you'll get it. That process of just saying, "I don't have to accept perfection. I just have to enjoy it. Where's the joy in doing this? I think it's been a game changer for me.
1: Uh, TJ brought up something in, in one of our previous episodes that I think is really, really important too, which is the best part about for me about this podcast has been when we get to talk to people like you that have a passion for what they do, that sharing of our our collective experiences in the vein of this hobby helps get me excited like what Doug and TJ do sometimes stuff that they're not even all that happy with really inspires me because they're sharing what they're creating and that helps fuel my excitement to try and create something on my own I think to TJ's original question we tend to all be solitary in this hobby we tend to go down in our basements and our man caves and kind of work on our own but i think we need to be mindful of of each other and for our own good as well as theirs and remember to
0: share and have a social
1: piece of the hobby for all of our well-beings especially in 2020
0: to share with others to to okay here's what i'm struggling with you you may find somebody who can help you through that to show successes that you have and i also think just to be an encourager uh, that's that's one of the things that i always try to remember if I'm answering anybody on the socials or if somebody contacts me through email or whatever, I want to encourage them. I don't want to be a discourager because, you know, nobody wants to hear a snarky comment. If you put up a picture and you say, well, I'm trying this, I did this. And I, I, you know, I I think I could have done this better. Whatever you say, you say, can y'all give me some input? The, The snarky comments, it doesn't really help. And I think being aware of that and saying, "How can I encourage somebody? Do I know how to contribute positively to this?" Um, and especially this year, we we need to hear that, and and I think it it would help people all around. And and that's that's one of the things that drives me is wanting to see people have fun in the hobby and enjoy it and really get something great out of it.
2: Yep. To kind of shift subjects a little bit. I think before we start recording, you mentioned the 172nd scale Bandai A-Wing, um, yeah. which is a fantastic kit. So my question to you is, where do you, I think I know the answer, but where do you fall in the debate on the scale of that model kit? And are you, well, first of all, are you aware of the debate around it? And if you are, yes. where do you fall in it?
0: And I, I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but somewhat seriously. I don't care. <laughs>
2: right. That
3: was going to be my question. Is <laughs> that, do you really care? That,
2: that's what I thought you were going to say. That's yeah. Because
0: <laughs> you know, okay. Number one, it's a made up thing. <laughs> exactly.
2: Thank you. It Thank you. Really
0: <laughs> my joy in building that kit was in no way related to the scale. It's like, I've got a, I've got a gum that I'm working on over here on my desk. It's one, one forty fourth scale. But if you told me, well, that's actually supposed to be just a regular-sized man in a suit, that's the scale. i go go, okie <laughs> It's one of, the, one of the things I, I, I do besides modeling is, is I enjoy studying theology. And there is a, a, a theologian, he passed away a couple of years ago, but his name is R.C. Sproul. And one of the questions he would ask is, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin? it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 and that's, that's what, what I, what I call one of those, you know, angel dance questions. Okay. Is it 48? Is it 72? Well, it, you can find out the answer because the, as far as I know, there are books and sites that tell you that, okay, if the A-wing were a real thing, it would be this many feet long. Right. Do the math. Which one is it? You know, it was a really fun kit to build. <laughs> You know, when you built it, did you have fun with it? Well, I've never actually built it. I just like debating the scale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, that, that is a, that happens. And it, it frustrates me to no end because it's a fantastic kit and mm-hmm. you know what, when it's done, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like a freaking A-wing. That's what it looks like. That, and that's all I care about. Well, it, it's
0: like with the, the snow speeder. If you actually look at the snow speeders that were created for the movie, it's impossible for the pilot to sit in.
2: Right, yeah, they wouldn't have any legs.
0: I I knew somebody years ago that in aircraft modeling, that if there was one thing wrong with a the kit, they would go, "I I just can't bring myself to build it."
2: Yeah, if it can't that, be fixed, I can't build it.
0: Yeah. When I was doing the snow speeder, I saw some comments about you know, well you know yeah that model looks pretty good, but in actuality, and I want to go no, not in actuality. <laughs> it's it's not a real thing and and that's where that's where i think this this you know mental health aspect of it when we get so wrapped around the axle about something that like with with a wing okay we could we could google the answer right now we could google and see okay in lore how big is the a wing do the math how big is the model it's 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 this and we might find out oh well it's actually 167th scale, <laughs> you know, 155th scale, or whatever. But when you're focused on, am I enjoying this? Because, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I don't want to get too familiar, but I'm overweight. I'm diabetic. I'm older. I'm tired. I'm getting arthritis. Uh, it, it hurts to stand up. I'm in, you know, some pretty serious debt on some things that I really wish I wasn't. There's things going on at my work that I don't always like. There's things going on, you know, difficult situations with family and health and things like that. Why drag your hobby into the rest of that? I, I love this hobby because I can come in here and I can sit down and I can pull out a toy soldier or a toy tank or a toy airplane or a toy spaceship and I can paint it. And I can zoom it around the room and go, you know. Then when I'm done, I go, oh, yeah, now I got to log on to the bank account and pay the bills. But at least for an hour and 45 minutes or whatever the time was that evening, I got to do something that I really enjoyed. And I think if I think if people would look for that joy in the hobby, it would really transform it for them.
2: Amen. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have said it any better. It's just a shame that Yeah, you know, you just, you see it online and people, they don't look like they're having fun doing something that should be fun. And it's like, you Mm -hmm. know, why, I mean, why even bother?
0: And I I start sounding like a broken record, but that's, that's why I make it my theme. I try to, I try to have as the underlying theme, one, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong Two, anybody can do this. Right. And, and I think when you step back and you look at, okay, if those two things, are going to be the theme for all my builds. I can do this and I'm going to have fun with it. it one time I was, I was building uh, when I'd first gotten into building Warhammer, uh, a guy at one of the local, at the local store that carries a lot of Warhammer stuff and where people game, he, he asked me to just come up and bring one of my models. And I did. People were looking at it and they're like, Oh, that looks pretty good. And I, you know, I was, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, one guy looked at it and he, he goes, well, the type of material that that tank is made out of wouldn't rust. Without batting an eye, I said, well, actually the planet that it was operating on had a specific kind of environment that actually ate through this metal and caused it to rust. I, can you imagine that? And, and he looked so confused, you know. And and then the other people started laughing. And, I, you know, I was – and I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to drag him down, but you know, I wanted to point out it can be whatever you want it to be. If you want it to be rusty, then make it rusty. Um, you know, if you want to paint it purple with pink elephants on it, paint it purple with pink elephants on it and just have fun with it.
2: Yeah. That's one of the, the beauties of painting Warhammer stuff. I mean, there's really no wrong way to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I don't, I don't know if you watch, uh, uh, Duncan Rhodes, who he's got his own painting channel now, but he used to do the, uh, a lot of videos on Warhammer TV. For he worked for Games Workshop, and the one that he released uh, this this last Friday was he, he had a couple weeks before he had shown his very first miniature that he had painted when he was 11, and somebody said, "Hey, it would be cool to see you paint that again now," and so he painted that. It, you know, it was a scheme that he made up all his own because to see him doing that was really cool because he just thought it up. This, this is what it is. And and just giving yourself the freedom to do that is, 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 is so very important.
1: It was a good video. I watched it. I really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. He, I, I love watching him. He's one there. There's a lot of times I, I, People make Bob Ross comparisons a lot. I see it a lot. <laughs> yes, I mean. a, few, a few people have, have told me, oh, you're <laughs> like the Bob Ross. But I always, I always kind of push back and go, no, 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 no. Bob Ross inspired millions of people. He was consistently encouraging. He was consistently you know, explaining things so that everybody could understand it, of, of getting that point across. And Duncan Rhodes is one of those guys that I think it's legitimate to make a Bob Ross comparison. Because his body of work is so good and so direct and yet so accessible that you can go, okay, that comparison fits there for him. He, he does that. He really encourages people. And by encouraging people, I don't, I don't necessarily mean that every two minutes he's going, now you can do this. You can do this. But just showing. Here's, here's how you can paint flesh tones. Here's how you can paint you know, this weapon. Here's how you can paint OSL or whatever. And just making it really approachable uh, for people.
2: Yeah, I I really enjoy his videos. I mean, I watch I watched him when he was on Warhammer TV. I watch him now. I, I enjoy it. I I don't even paint in his particular style at all. But I I don't know. There's just it is. It's like watching Bob Ross paint. Like I don't paint. Mm-hmm. I don't make oil paintings on canvas. But when I was a kid, I watched Bob Ross. Um, I've watched Bob Ross with my kids now, and they're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" Like, yeah, it kind of is, right? It, it's, yeah, it's almost entrancing. And uh, yeah, Duncan Rhodes is is like that for me. Uh, he just has such a, I, I don't know, just like an easy way about him. Where it's like, yeah, you're like, oh, well, obviously you can do this. Why couldn't you? <laughs>
0: yeah, and and that's that's why I think the comparison there is appropriate, because if you if you watch Duncan or if you watch Bob Ross. While they very rarely talk much in terms of color theory or deep into technique or things like that, when you watch them over time, you come away having gained a lot of knowledge about the mechanics of it, the way it's done in the background, you know, the thinking that goes into it. And uh, you know you watch it one time and you, you okay that, that was an enjoyable video of a guy painting something. But you watch it consistently, and all of a sudden you start going, hmm, I'm a better painter now, whether it's oil on canvas or acrylics on little plastic soldiers. You come away from it going, yeah, I'm I'm a better painter now for having watched that, and it inspires me. I'm not a mini painter. Um, I don't show minis, really, in my videos. I've never claimed to be a mini painter, but... I always have one or two going because there are times when I'm waiting for stuff to dry or I just need kind of a breather between a couple of projects that I'll just pull out. I've got about, I bought about 20 space Marines on eBay that were built and primed. And I just pull one out and pull some paints out and say, okay, I'm going to paint this guy and I'm going to take half an hour and get whatever done I can. It's really fun to take those techniques that I've seen him do and then other guys too. So, you know, another one of my favorites is Mark Sarastro, um, from Serastro's painting. I really like him and just try and say, okay, can I execute these things and see what I come up with in 30 minutes? And it's a, it's a great relief valve.
2: Yeah. Serastro is another one. He's extremely talented, fantastic videos. One of my friends got into painting just by watching his videos that's like what, what inspired him to paint.
0: And what's crazy is how good his videography is and he even does his own music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I can't even hum a tune while I'm while I'm working on my models. <laughs> so and, and we were talking earlier about inspiration. It's watching guys like that that do that stuff that just make me want to go do modeling. It's hard to watch. A lot of times I just take my phone and I prop it up here at the model desk and watch them because it just inspires me. Even if I'm not painting anything like what they're doing, I doubt I'll ever paint any of the Marvel Crisis Protocol figures that painting, has been painting lately. But watching him paint those is just absolutely fascinating to see how he works with color and light and shadow and all of that. And so I can be sitting here working on something entirely different, but that's inspiring me as I'm working.
3: You guys have anything else you want to add? No, I, I think this has been great. I really enjoyed this talk, but uh, I don't have anything else right now.
1: Yeah, John, your contribution was fantastic. I just I think that's something that's important for all of us to hear, especially in 2020.
3: This is
0: definitely the year that, that I think extending grace to people, being extra nice is extra beneficial.
3: <laughs> well, we all need each other. We just need to to remember that and take care of of each other, and sometimes the best thing you can do is just be kind.
2: I'm a big fan of your machine and Krieger videos, and thank you. I love the fact that I mean you're like one of the only people on YouTube that consistently, other than Lincoln Wright, I mean obviously <laughs> that does that consistently does machine and Krieger, and it it's such a cool subject, and yeah. they're so interesting, and the kits are fantastic. I don't, it's just I don't know. I feel like it's really underrepresented in mm-hmm. the hobby across the internet. And I think one of your videos is one of the first things that got me into it because I've only been oh, cool. building machine and career for like uh, a little over a year, but man, I just, Oh, there's so much fun.
0: Yeah. It's, and it's funny because four years ago, uh, the guy at the local hobby shop tried to talk me into building machine and career. And I looked at it and I'm like, I told him, I said, that's the weirdest stuff I've ever seen. <laughs> I've and When I started making my what I call my sci-fi pivot, I was watching Model Making Guru a lot. He was doing gunplug. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he mentioned this guy named Lincoln Wright. And I went and I watched one of his videos and I saw, oh, he's doing this machining career stuff. But I watched it anyway and I thought, hmm, he kind of made that look interesting. And then I watched another one and I'm like, wow, he, he made that look even more interesting. And I finally went and got one and I'm sitting there putting texture on it. And I thought, this is like playing in the mud when I was a kid. And I just just found so much joy in that. And yeah, it's, and I think because of the scale, that it's 120th scale. And yeah. if you like weathering, that's so much fun to weather in 120th scale. But I, I really appreciate, I appreciate that you've watched it and that it, I can't tell you how much it means to me to hear that it in some way was a positive contribution to your modeling.
1: What a great interview, John. Thank you so much for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Uh, before you go, a couple of quick questions. As far as science fiction subjects go, is there a subject that hasn't been kitted that you would just absolutely love to get a kid of and uh, build?
0: Honestly, Star Wars was such a huge thing for me as a kid that I think because there's so much of that, you know, because there, there are some things from say space 1999 i guess i guess to answer to actually answer the question rather than doing the politician thing and not answering the question <laughs> you remember that the the show ufo yeah and you remember the interceptors
1: oh yeah those are cool
0: with the big nuclear missiles on the front the front of the nose now i know that there is a resin kit of it I actually had one. It took me six months to get it. I took one look at it and sold it. But I think I would love to see a major manufacturer, Bandai, um, <laughs> like they ever will. I think if Bandai came out with those, or even Wave, I think it would be great in one twentieth scale. I, I would, I would love that. Now that I'm sitting here, because I'm having to kind of think on the on the fly. That interceptor from from UFO. I would absolutely love to see that, and build three of them. Then I would play with them and I would try and do the voice. You know, interceptors one, two, and three. You know, and <laughs> and launch them off. And then that that horrible UFO with the with the rotating you know mirrors inside of it and go loo, 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 like that. Shoot them down. Yeah, that's what I want.
1: Any uh plans on uh, one of the. Subjects that I'm really, really fond of is uh, Space Battleship Yamato slash Star Blazers. Bandai makes a ton of great kits in that. Any plans on maybe adding one of those to your uh, channel sometime?
0: I will just say this because you know, I, I, I publish. I'll get a plug in here for it. I publish what I do, what's upcoming on Patreon, but I publicly I tend to keep quiet about it. But I will say that look for one next year. There will be there will be a jet fighter thing from that series that I'm going to do next year. I've got it in the stash. I've already pulled it out and looked at it and got the build plan ready for it. It may not be until second quarter next year, but definitely one coming out.
3: Awesome.
1: Man, that's great news. I can't, I look forward to seeing what that uh, ends up being. It's going to be great. Well, uh, let's talk about your YouTube channel Uh, before we go one more time. uh, Remind everybody where to find you, how to subscribe, uh, how to get a hold of you, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, there's several ways. You can go to youtube.com slash John Bias. You'll find me there. You can go to johnbias.com. I've got links to uh, my YouTube channel. I've got posts for all of my latest videos I've got blog posts going back for several years there's links there to all the social media that I'm on there's a contact form if you want to get in touch with me I love hearing from people I I truly do you know when people contact me and we just start talking modeling I love hearing that so if you if you remember nothing else just remember my name John Bias J O N B I U S plug that in to YouTube plug that in to your Google search and you will find
1: me. Well, thank you so much again John for for stopping by. It's been a really great uh, productive conversation speaking with Doug and TJ and I about uh, fun subjects but also some a little bit more serious subjects as well. So, uh open invitation to come back and join us anytime and uh just to really appreciate uh, your time. Thanks a lot.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm grateful. Absolutely,
3: you're welcome. Thank you.
2: Thanks.
1: Let's take a short break and hear from our sponsor, Goodman Models. Anthony's a great friend of the show, and then we'll be right back.
3: Hey, this is Anthony from Goodman Models. You're listening to the Plastic Posse Podcast. This is the podcast for miniatures, Star Wars, science fiction models, and everything in between. And while you're listening in, working on your models, pick up a set of super sanding blocks, tools that will help you sand with precision. Check them out at goodmanmodels.com and keep the glue to your sprue. All right. So thank you so much again, John. We really appreciate your time and your talent. We enjoy sharing all this with you. I don't know how we're going to follow that up. That was an excellent interview. We really enjoyed our time.
1: Moving on. Current projects. What's on everybody's bench? Uh, I'll start here. Uh, I've been working on a little 148 scale to me, a Crusader 3. I've got the whole of that tank uh, completely put together and started on the upper hull. I also picked up some uh, new parts that I think are pretty interesting. I got them from M&M Models here in the States uh, from a company called T-Rex. They're the detail parts arm of Mang, and uh, they do 3D-printed resin detail parts. And I picked up uh, two uh, sets of upgrade parts for my one sixteenth scale TACOM Panzer One. Uh, one is like a an air intake pipe that goes on the uh, rear deck, and the other is it's a set of replacement coil springs uh, that are a significant up, upgrade to the TACOM parts. And then also got uh three uh three sets of one thirty fifth scale U.S. armored uh, kit details, mostly for Sherman's, but also for things like M8 Greyhounds and. Stewart tanks and those kind of things, and these are like your light covers and periscope covers and things like that. So I really like all those. So if you guys are interested in any of those, check those out from T.-Rex and uh, see what you think. Doug, uh, what's on your bench, and uh, what do you have going that's new?
3: Well, I finally got working back on that Gundam again, working on that little Gundam kit somewhere in there. I lost the instructions, just kept sanding it away away at those seams that I'd filled. And this morning, found the instructions. I was actually going to tell my wife, hey, if you see this laying around, oh, there they are right there. It was just kind of crazy. I, I lost them, found them. But I'm working on that kit. I'm getting close to paint. I went out and bought some colors today. Instead of the medium gray-white scheme that they have on, on the instructions, it's going to be a medium to dark gray and dark blue. And I also picked myself up a Bandai TIE Fighter today just because I don't have any in my stash and I need at least three. So I'm working towards that. That's what I've got.
2: Oh, I love I love those kits.
3: You know what? I've got a a, there are a few of the Bandai kits that I want multiples of because I'll keep building them. And that's one of them. I mean, they're so simple to build. But I mean, I need that. I need the ATST and the Y-Wing have been my absolute favorites to build. I'll just I'll just keep collecting them when I can.
2: Those Tie Fighters, you want to talk about a palette cleanser? A Bandai Tie Fighter is a palette cleanser. Absolutely, I, it's like literally two colors, and yeah, I mean it. You could, that's a weekend, that's a day, that's a one day build if you really wanted it to be. That's a yeah. one day out of the box painted complete build. And
3: and other than the uh, the Tie Advanced, which is Darth Vader's Tie Fighter, that one. The panels aren't separate from the framing to the panels, so you have to tape and paint, but all the rest of them, you can paint them black, you can paint the framing, and then put it together, and you've got a nice finish, and you don't have to worry about taping off all those panel lines on the solar panels.
1: While we're talking about TIE Fighters, everybody take a look at our Facebook page, and Tony Bell, who is just, if you aren't familiar with his work, he's just an incredible aircraft modeler did a P38 recently that was just stunning but he's posted a Bandai I believe it was a Tie Interceptor uh, wasn't it
3: it yes it was yes
1: yeah and he's posted that on our Facebook page and it's just beautiful you know he did a black basing uh, paint scheme on it the color that he chose for it was great the we- the weathering is nice and subtle so check that out you guys but Tony a really great job on that
3: yeah it's beautiful
2: tj
1: what's uh what's on your bench what's new for you
2: uh what's on my bench uh space marines lots and lots of space marines we are recording this a little earlier than normal um so by the time this episode comes out guess what i'll have more space marines on my desk (laughs) because on uh, a bunch of new models for the ninth edition of Warhammer forty thousand and the release of the new Space Marine Codex, their like army book, is on the tenth, and I have a couple of them pre-ordered already, so I'll have those. But currently, right now, all the same Space Marines I had before. I'm also working on a another chaplain. It I posted a picture of it on um, our Facebook page. He's got a skull helmet you know, fitting for uh, you know October <laughs> and uh, the Halloween season. It's the last of the classic, quote-unquote, classic Space Marine Chaplain sculpts that came out in 2005 with the fourth edition of the Warhammer 40,000 rulebook. They were sculpted by a guy named Juan Diaz, who was a crazy talented miniature sculptor that worked for Games Workshop back in the day. Um, he no longer works there. I'm not. He's still in the industry, as far as I know. Uh, I can't remember who he works for, but... There's there was a span of probably from, I think, the early 2000s to the I think I think he left maybe around 2010, where he just put out so many phenomenal sculpts. And this, of course, was all pre, you know, 3D rendering and stuff. So, yeah, it's just an awesome little figure. So I have that going and I want to finish that because I have all four of them and I have three of them painted. So this is the last one I have to do. And then I'll have. Um, all four sculpts, which I'm really proud of because I, I I did not, I was not involved in the game back then. So I didn't, I wasn't there for them when they came out, but um I've collected them over the years because they're just beautiful.
1: And again, again, listeners, check those out on our Facebook page. Uh, TJ's posted pictures of those.
2: Um, and as far as what, oh, I have the little 172nd uh, scale Masterbox uh, Mark II female tank uh a rhomboid tank from world war one scott turned me on to these yeah they're they're fantastic they're you know 172nd scale armor is it's pretty small yeah i mean it it goes together and that's these could also be um you know a single day build realistically because they're i don't know they fit in the palm of your hand there's not many parts but um the detail on them is great world war one tanks for the most part are pretty simple paint scheme wise um, so yeah, uh, it's primed. It's ready to go. I haven't decided exactly how I'm going to paint it because it's supposed to represent um, a Mark II. David Fletcher uh, from the Tank Museum says that the Mark II was never meant for battle or for combat. It was uh, doesn't have armored steel. It had um, mild steel um, plating, but they were rushing to combat for the Battle of Arras, Arras. I don't know how to say that. Um, one of the important battles in, like, I think I want to say late 1917 or sometime in 1917. So yeah, they were kind of just rushed into um, combat. But there's a picture apparently of one with the brownish, khakiish color, but they had replaced the sponsons with Mark one sponsons that had the Solomon camouflage, and they weren't repainted. So I'm kind of thinking that'd be pretty neat to do the and if you've ever seen the solomon world war one british tank camouflage it's really weird it's like pink and gray and and like a weird beige you know but then it has that and then the body would be that boring like khaki drab color um so i have that i have that going on and as far as new stuff going goes i think i mentioned in our last episode i got the Ryfield model, T-34-85 model, 1945, number 174 factory. Man, I, I haven't built it yet, but I opened the box and looked at it. And I mean, T-34s are simple tanks, obviously. There's not a whole lot of parts to this kit, but it's beautiful. Like, I really wanted to put it together. I've never built a T-34. From what I understand, the different factories that built these, you know, they all have their own like quirks about them. I know they, I think they touch on that on the T 34 episode on um, Plastic Model Mojo. If you ever want to take a deep dive into T 34, is check out the T 34 groups they mentioned um, on that episode. Cause wow, you want to talk about a lot, a lot of stuff to take in, especially if you don't know much about them. So uh, I'd like to, that might leapfrog some stuff that I have to build because I like new plastic and I've never built a T 34 and I love Russian armor. So, yeah, that's what pretty much what I got going on right now.
1: Did you talk about those uh, Sisters of Battle?
2: Oh, no, I did not. So, um, yeah, I finished the 10-woman 10 squ- 10 squad of Sisters of Battle for the Miniac Nova Open Cherubile Foundation event. I actually had them done, mailed, and received on October 1st, which was the due date. I was very awesome. proud of myself because... I'm a, I don't want to say I'm a slacker, but I'm kind of a slacker. Um, I'm a procrastinator. There you go. That sounds a little better. I typically work better um, under pressure, you know, like under the gun. And I cranked them out and got them shipped. And also doesn't help that they were going to Vienna, Virginia. And I live in Percival, Virginia. So it's really like 35 miles I probably could have driven them over there faster than the, uh, than the post office uh, got them there, but yep, they received them and now they will be based to match the rest of the army. And then that auction will go live. I believe on October, October 15th, somewhere around there. If it's not ready by then, it should be sometime after then. So we're going to put a link to that. It's an auction uh, on the Nova open charitable foundations website, you can buy a raffle ticket. They're $10 and you get two raffle tickets. So who knows if you're interested in a sisters, of battle army or a ultramarine space Marine army or a Necron army for Warhammer 40,000. And you want your money to go to charity. That's a a perfect chance to do it. So, you know, be sure to check that out when, um, it's live.
3: So you can buy TJ's kits.
2: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It's
1: not that impressive. (laughs) I don't know. I've seen them. They look pretty good.
3: (laughs) Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we had a listener recommend that we start doing kit reviews. And we really like this. This is going to be our uh, weekly thing for us. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start off. I have picked for my kit this week the uh, Moebius Cylon Raider, the classic uh, original series Battlestar Galactica Cylon Raider in one thirty second scale. This is a really cool model. It is a very unique and uh, it's a classic ship. Um, one thing you don't know if you're not familiar with this kit is it's huge. In 30-second scale, this is absolutely massive. And and we didn't realize it as kids when we watched the show, just how big they were. I mean, it makes sense. There's a three-person cockpit and uh, finished, I'm not exactly sure. It's going to be about 18 inches, tip to tip, a very nice little kit uh not not the crisp molding we're used to from like Bandai um which is what I usually compare sci-fi kits to would be the Bandai Star Wars lines it's it's got about 50 pieces good detail and ought to go together really really slick the one thing it's missing is the old uh, monogram rubber band missiles <laughs> that the original kit had those were cool anyway that's just just kidding about that it's it's a it's a nice little kit. I recommend it for anybody that is a fan of the original series and uh I would give it a 4 out of 5 star. Awesome.
1: That one has a lot of space inside of it for lights too, oh, doesn't yeah. it? Doug? I'll be
3: putting lights in that one. We'll due to the overall size that one and the uh the original uh uh Viper will definitely be getting lights from me.
1: All right. Well, I also have a science fiction kit I've done in the recent episodes, uh, an aircraft and an armor kit. So I have the Bandai 1-1000 scale Space Battleship Yamato. Now, there are a whole bunch of different boxings of this kit and actually some different toolings. Uh, the one I have was just the initial release for when uh, Bandai released the series of Space Battleship Yamato 2202. It's just the uh, the ship itself it doesn't have any uh, unique features as far as that goes some of them have uh, you know different uh, uh, battle damage plating and things like that but this one's just the straight ship it uh, comes with about 13 sprues it's molded in red gray and black it's an excellent kit i built one of these before this particular boxing also comes with a little uh mecha call series uh ship of the old earth defense force uh, battleship it's not in the same scale it's just a small little kit but it's a nice free bonus kit and if you're going to buy these bandai uh yamato series kits you'll want to check if you're in the local hobby shop you can look at the back of the box and uh, if you see on the back of the box the box art for one of these little mecha call kits That means they've added uh, a a little bonus model in there for you, so that's a nice feature. Another nice feature this has is it comes with a couple of the little small circular LED lighting kits. If you want to build this kit to its full potential, you'll also need to pick up one of the Bandai plug-and-play two LED light kits. little lighting assembly kits. You can get those at most hobby shops that sell Bandai kits. It kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit why uh, Bandai would give you two of the little lighting kits, but then require you to go pick up the third one. But that's what they did. Um, Anyway, I've got extra. So I threw one in there uh, with my particular kit. As I mentioned, I built these before. The engineering and the fit is flawless. It's typical Bandai. This kit was, uh, this particular boxing was released in 2017. It's excellent. Um, I'm going to give this kit overall a... A four and a half out of five stars, you're just you're gonna have a great experience with it. The only caveat I would say is if you're a beginner, it might not be maybe your best choice because you do have lighting in it and it's a little bit more complex than than some of Bandais, like say some of their Star Wars fighters and things like that. But, you know, it isn't too tough. You should be able to do it. It's just a little bit more complicated. So overall, really excellent kit. It's the Bandai one Space Battleship Yamato.
3: And can I can I throw in something here? Um, for those of you that love Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica and a lot of those classic sci-fi shows, and you're not familiar with Yamato, um, I highly recommend checking out uh, it's space battleship. Yamato 2199 is, uh, is the name of the first season, the first series of it. Um, It's anime and it is fantastic. Great story. Very well animated. Absolutely. Give it a try. It's a lot of fun. TJ, uh, what kid are
1: you going to review for us today?
2: All right. So I'm going to buck the trend a little bit and I'm going to review the uh, Tamiya, valentine mark three four um, mark three mark four so you can i guess you can build either one um the valentine is just an awesome little british tank um from world war ii and if you've listened to some of our previous episodes i'm sure you've heard me talk about british armor for world war ii as uh, a little um one of the, one of my favorite subjects, cause I, they had such cool little tanks, you know, home built, you know, British tanks. Um, I have a picture of the one I built. It should be on our Facebook page. Um, I built it this year. Um, man, it, it's a Tommy, a it, it, I mean, it, it literally falls together. It, it's really, you can put it all the parts in the box, shake it, and you're going to get, um, a Valentine, you know, it's a small tank. It was, I think a three man tank. So you know it was small to begin with but um yeah it you know the fit is perfect you know unsurprisingly um the cast te- texture on the turret is phenomenal um and even surprisingly the the decals for a kit are fantastic i used them and they went down perfectly i think i had more than one person ask me are those actually decals um because you know, I know they have a reputation of being really thick, but I, I don't know if these were any different. I, I'm not really sure, but they were, they were beautiful. Um, it comes with Lincoln length, length tracks, which are great too. I, I didn't use them. I used Master Club tracks, which sucked, and I kind of wish I had used the um, Lincoln length, length tracks because they probably would have been ten times easier. But I also used um, a metal gun barrel for the main gun, the two pounder, and the Biza machine gun. But I will say the kit barrel is uh slide molded and it's it's fine it's there is really no need to use the metal one it's just one of those quirks i have i just have to get a metal barrel if there's one available dj loves him some bullying. i do it's but you don't need it for this um what i would rate this tank or this kit i mean it's a five out of five i mean it really is there's i can't i mean sure there's some sacrifices to accuracy in detail that come with Tamiya. Yeah, that's to be expected. But, you know, for, for a majority of people, I mean, there aren't really Valentine fanboys out there. You, you know what I mean? It's not like a Tiger or a Sherman or, a, a, you know, a Mark IV Panzer. It's not one of the tanks. So unless you really know what you're looking for, you probably wouldn't need pick anything out. I mean, I don't. I just I like the tank. And I like the way it looks. So, you know, it looks like a Valentine to me. I would definitely recommend it. It's a great uh, first kit if you want to start building armor. This is up there with pick up this kit. Even if you're not too keen on the subject, build this kit and you'll see why people A, like to build tanks and B, like to build Tamiya tanks and Tamiya in general because it's just fantastic. One more reminder to visit the other fine quality scale modeling podcasts, namely on the bench with Dave and Julian plastic model mojo with Dave and Mike and scale model podcast with Stuart up in Canada. Please check those guys out. They've been super supportive of what we do here at the plastic posse podcast. So we would love to return the favor to them. Next episode is going to be a really cool one. And I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to discuss inspiration you know, how, what we find inspiration in both in modeling and outside of modeling. Because unfortunately there is real life outside of building plastic models.
1: All right. Thanks guys. Hey, just a reminder, please take a few moments if you don't mind and rate us, Uh, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, especially if you can give us a five-star review that will again, really help our podcast reach more listeners. Well, we'll see you guys again in two weeks. That was a great episode. Hope you enjoyed the interview uh, that we had with John Bias. I think that was a lot of fun. Also hope that our discussion that was a little bit more serious and tone this time uh, was helpful. Uh, Just one more follow-up reminder. Check in on your buddies. Make sure everybody's doing good. Um, Reach out to us or anybody else that you can if you want to talk. We're all here for each other doug tj thanks a lot we'll talk to you guys soon
3: all right take care guys yeah have a good one everyone